231 um, uniformed service members, you know, present or previous, just filed for um, court martial against uh, Secretary of Defense and others. And I think that's a reasonable action based on forcing our troops into something investigational that hampered the readiness of our nation. I get calls from military physicians around the country every week reporting to me the clotting they're seeing. The lost another pilot today, um, got another one sidelined, myocarditis. Another 40-year-old you know, had a heart attack. Another 27-year-old had a heart attack. Another 22-year-old has an 18-inch clot. I get calls every week from medical physicians around the country reporting to me what's happening. I appreciate, and, and you know, not only, you know, I love what you did with the defense authorization, but we should restore their back pay in addition and restore them to full honor and duty if they even want to come back to a government that harmed our own soldiers that were defending our own country. So uh, this is obviously I'm passionate on this one. Military accountability remains low, almost non-existent, in my opinion. Well, welcome to the Rob Mana Show Live, and welcome to our X-Spaces Live audience and simulcast. We appreciate every one of you. Uh, well, since January 1st, 2024, when we saw this new generation of Americans decide to take a stand and live up to the values and actions of our founding fathers, when the American people were sent an open letter with the Declaration of Military Accountability in it, more reasons why we need military accountability have been revealing themselves over time. Just in that short period of time, the Secretary of Defense broke policy and broke the law by not advising the president he was in the hospital. Uh, in intensive care, I might add, military leadership is going after whistleblowers on the vaccine injury data once again, uh, and uh, news articles openly advocating the military disobey lawful orders if Donald Trump is reelected president are just a few examples. Well, we, we've got to all be passionate about the DMA effort because this single institution, the United States military, it's the core of everything that is a free America, ladies and gentlemen. If, if it remains blindly following partisan political ideologies instead of serving and defending our Constitution, the country's lost. That's my opinion, and I think the facts support it. Well, today my guest is uh, not just a signer of the DMA, but also a co-author of the Declaration too. Uh, former U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel and Battalion Commander Brad Miller, who resigned from the service within months of reaching retirement eligibility. Uh, Brad, welcome back to the Rob Mina Show. I think it's been about a year since uh, we talked to you the first time. Uh, that's right. So first of all, thanks for having me back on. But yeah, you're right. So we spoke originally about my own story, you know, leaving the uh, leaving the army, like you said. Yeah. So it was about eight and a half months shy of what would have been 20 years for me. And anyway, look at where we are a year later, you know, the way that we're kicking off 2024 right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of the signers. I'm a signer of the letter, too. So I've been able to mm -hmm. tell my story from our perspective. But you and Commander Rob Green really, uh, I think, wrote this letter as the co-authors primarily on this. Uh, what, tell, tell the audience and let them get some insight into your thinking as you drafted this thing, because it's a, it's a great piece of work. Uh, I mean, I got a chance to offer edits, and I didn't have any, quite honestly. Yeah, sure, sure. It, 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 is a, uh, it is a great piece of work, and that is really because of you know Rob Green. So I would say Rob Green's the principal author. So for those who may not be aware of who Rob Green is, I mean, he's a He's a good friend of mine, you know, a friend of ours. But for those who, who might not be aware of who he is, um, 
he's not just a very smart guy, but he's a courageous individual. So he is currently serving in the Navy as a commander. So um, he's, 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 I would say, to some degree, incurring some risk by not just putting his name on it like others did, but also, you know, freely saying that he's the one who came up with the whole, the whole idea of generating an open letter to the American public. But this is not unusual for Rob Green. I mean, this is a man who wrote a book that went out last summer. It was released appropriately enough on July 4th of all dates. And that book is called Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. So for those who are unfamiliar with the book, first of all, I would suggest, you know, get familiar with the book because it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a great book. It kind of details the story of the service member undergoing coercion, deprivation of rights amid the, the, uh, the unlawful COVID shot mandate, but also when Rob takes that same kind of mindset that goes into the book where he, he frames things historically, he's obviously a, a big fan of the founding period. So then you kind of read that in this open letter that we call the declaration of military accountability. When you read that and you're reading that, that voice that almost comes from the founding period, you know, that's, that's Rob, that is Rob kind of framing this within the context of the, of the founding period with particular mention of the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, and we're, we're clear to mention in there, like, hey, listen, we're not looking for separation, but we are, in a sense, detailing out a long train of abuses, in this case, not from the king, but from senior military officials that have willfully violated their oaths to the Constitution. They have broken laws and they have violated the military's own regulations. All we're saying is, hey, we want the Constitution the law and military regulations to be followed. So kind of to sum up what I just said, so Rob's the one who wrote the initial draft. Rob shared his initial draft with a small group of people. I was one of those. We mm -hmm. kind of took the language you mentioned, you know, you, you got uh, one of those initial drafts. Eventually it went out to a larger group of people and um, eventually 231 signatories who were courageous enough, some still serving in uniform, to put their name on the document. And of course we rolled it out to the American public on January 1st. Yeah. Uh, I've said a couple of times that, uh, uh, that I really admire, especially the folks that are still on active duty that have the courage to step up and sign that thing. You know, it's uh, I don't know, honestly, I, I have to be honest about it. I don't know if I would have been able to have that kind of, that level of courage uh, had I been in their shoes, uh, quite frankly. But one of the questions that, uh, uh, that folks have posed to me, Brad, about this is, did the president of the United States, who's kind of like the king, uh, actually issue an unlawful order uh, or was something else going on between him and the, uh, the general officers and admirals that got messed up in the mix or were, uh, uh, or was it just the way it played out that, uh, because we all, all of us that have read it and have been involved in this process know that these orders are unlawful at this point. Even mm -hmm. I think six or seven judges have said that in the courts, the civilian courts. anyway. Yeah. So, you know, certainly we're not privy to what kind of discussions took place between the president and the secretary of defense or the chairman of the joint chiefs or other, you know, senior Pentagon officials. We also know that there was no, you know, when you read the law, um, we know that there was no presidential waiver that was sought or given. Um, and therefore, the mandate when it was passed down and implemented 
came from the Secretary of Defense with with no attempt to to gain a presidential waiver. So what that means is that when when the Secretary of Defense uh, implemented that mandate, and that occurred on August twenty first, or excuse me, August twenty fourth, twenty twenty one, what that means is that everyone still has their right to informed consent, but that was deprived to you know virtually everyone. And the other thing is is that emergency use authorized products cannot be mandated. And so this is where we get into some of the the uh, the legal games and the obfuscation and the um, the shell games or the bait and switch between this ghost product that was called Comirnaty that was never ever available mm-hmm. that received an approval from the FDA on August 23rd and then the very next day DOD ostensibly because there is now an approved product implements the mandate but that approved yep. product didn't really exist and it seems that there was never any intent to actually produce it and that's where you kind of get this bait and switch between this community product that is approved but doesn't exist and then this Pfizer BioNTech product which exists but is not approved and then you see legal games between well are they interchangeable yeah supposedly but they're legally distinct and of course you know you read the law and the law is clear that you can't have interchangeability between one FDA approved product and another unapproved product. So uh, I don't know where or to what degree the president was involved in that. What I can say is there was no presidential waiver and that therefore the the mandates implementation came from the secretary of defense. And of course, we have seen the memos that actually uh, kind of formally, you know, put the mandate into effect. Yeah. Uh, what is the waiver? I mean, even with the waiver though, doesn't a, a military person have the right to refuse an EUA uh, product. Yeah, this is where it gets 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 uh, really tricky. Yes, and 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 my understanding is that the waiver, even if there were a presidential waiver, is a waiver for the informed consent, not necessarily not necessarily to to not take the product. But again, this gets it gets very very. Yeah, it's a complex matter for sure. There's certainly a lot of nuance involved, but. Um, yeah. But absent that waiver, we know f- for sure that um, you certainly have your, your right to informed consent and you cannot be mandated to, to, to take an EUA product. And all the products that were available on August 24, 2021, when the mandate went into effect, were EUA products. Yeah. And that, that never changed throughout this entire two year yeah. process. Yeah, uh, correct. Let's go over to the Spaces audience and give them an opportunity to ask you some questions before we get to the uh, the 15 minute break here. Uh, Kat, Chell, uh, you guys have somebody over there that's got a question for Brad? I don't see a hand up, but um, I was gonna ask Brad, um, I'm pretty sure I've been in a space with you before you run a really good space. No, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I was gonna ask you um, with all this, okay, we're dealing with a government that really doesn't, uh, well, that doesn't even want it a military that doesn't even want to admit that like the shots have caused any damage to anybody. I'm wondering, like at the end of the day, do you think maybe when Trump, if, okay, I'm going to say when when Trump gets back in there, do you think that there could be maybe some kind of reckoning over all this? And if there is, what would you like to see them do? What would you like to see the outcome of that be? Yeah. Okay. Good. Great, great question. Um, 
let me separate my opinion from the Declaration of Military Accountability because I don't want anyone to, to attribute my position to the 231 individuals who signed the document. And the reason I say that is because the document is very specific and, and, and its focus is very narrow and it is exclusively focused on the implementation of the mandate that was both unlawful and harmful. Having said that, um, here's what I think needs to happen and here's what I kind of hope and we'll, we'll see if it does happen, but I certainly hope that it does. Uh, we need, first and foremost, we need wide scale acknowledgement of what occurred. And when I say acknowledgement, I primarily mean of two things. One, the mandate was unlawful for the reasons that we just spoke about. Two, it was harmful. It was harmful physically. It was harmful morally. It was harmful to people's careers. Um, I, I mean, I would argue that the entire military and then the greater military community to include spouses, children of service members were mm -hmm. harmed to some degree by this mandate because I would say the moral injury is greater than the physical injury because there are plenty of people who, who weren't physically injured by this because they didn't even take the shots, but they were morally injured. I'd count myself as one of those. What's moral injury? Just to explain that very quickly. Moral injury is when an individual acts against his own moral code. You do something you know is wrong. You then feel guilty about it. That's a type of moral injury. Look at an organization that has a very clear um, established moral code like the military. It has a very clear culture, has a very clear set of values that form its ethos. What happens when young service members see the military as a whole go completely against, you know, in direct opposition to its own stated code of values? That's moral injury. So acknowledgement that it was unlawful, acknowledgement that it was harmful. Well, what's after acknowledgement? Accountability. Listen, if this was unlawful and crimes were broken, people have to be held accountable for those crimes. Uh, for those, let's say, senior officers whose conduct might not have met the threshold of criminal activity, but was still unbecoming the positions that they hold, I mean, they, they also should be held accountable. I mean, you know, maybe they don't go to jail or whatever, but Maybe they lose their, their positions. Maybe they lose their pension or receive a downgraded rank. Whatever it is, I'm not here to say. I'm just saying that there need to be investigations and people need to be held accountable. The other thing that I would say is after that, there's got to be some form of restitution. You know, there, what we've got to do is we have to try and restore those who were harmed in as much as even possible to try and make them whole. Now, I would tell you, I firmly believe, and I think the data shows, there are service members who have been killed by these shots. There's no way to restore that. Unfortunately, there's just no way to restore that. There are others who have been physically harmed to a degree that they may or may not recover. But, you know, where careers have been harmed or whatever, yes, I think people should be restored as much as possible. But to those who have been injured physically, here's part of the problem. DOD and the Department of Veterans Affairs fail to recognize vaccine injury, which means if you're an individual who was harmed by these shots, and I personally believe there are many, how can you receive proper and adequate treatment if, if the military physicians that are treating you are unlikely to put accurate information in your medical records because they're afraid to call it a vaccine injury? Well, then how do you know you're getting the, the treatment that you actually need? So to kind of sum what I think is a, my answer to a great question, again, three points. This is the way that I would word it. Acknowledgement that you know, it was unlawful and harmful accountability, and then restitution in as much as possible. Now, uh, what do I think is going to happen with whatever administration comes in next? Let me word it this way, because our, our declaration is completely apolitical and nonpartisan. Right. Whatever administration comes in next, I think is going to have to clean this up. Because even if they do not want to do it, I think that um, 
the 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 people they're just going to have to they're going to have to fix DOD and and I firmly believe that our declaration is going to inform conversations that happen on a national stage over the next 12 months between now and the election whether that's uh speeches that are given by various candidates whether it informs to some degree directly or indirectly uh questions and conversations that are had during debates I I do expect as we continue to gain momentum that we will to some degree uh, impact those conversations that are had over the next year. And therefore, yes, I do think we are going to impact things that happen post inauguration with, you know, whoever it is that's in the White House next. Great answer. Uh, Great answer, Brad. Uh, Question for you. Has uh, anybody from this team briefed any of the campaigns or the candidates that are running for president? uh, the cycle uh, that we know of? No, 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 no. But, but I will tell you that I have heard indirectly and I, I can't corroborate this, mm-hmm. but I have heard that multiple of the campaigns are aware of the declaration of existence and have been made aware, maybe not necessarily by signatories themselves, but by people who are close to signatories. You know, I, again, I can't corroborate that, but, but I have heard that. And I think with the uh, amount of energy that it has generated over the last two plus weeks now. Mm. Yeah. I think it's very likely that all the campaigns are aware of it. And, and I think what we're going to see is um, I don't know that senior DOD officials are going to acknowledge us anytime soon, because I think they are going to try to ignore us, but I think our job is to make ourselves, you know, unignorable. And as that happens, I think eventually, you know, within their campaigns, they're going to have to figure out how to kind of, acknowledge us to some degree. Well, at some point, they're going to have to acknowledge it. I mean, there was a hearing last week at a House Armed Services Committee subcommittee level, uh, and I'm going to play just a very few second clip about it, and it's relevant uh, to this, and then we'll, uh, we'll take some more hands here. Here we go. Mr. Chairman, I want to submit for the record uh, something called Declaration of Military Accountability, an open letter to the American people from signatories of the Declaration of Military Accountability into the record. Now, that was Andy Biggs from Arizona, uh, Congressman, uh, uh, putting the DMA into the record uh, in a hearing. Uh, It's the same hearing that Lieutenant Colonel Matt Lohmeyer, formerly U.S. Air Force, ever Space Command, sorry, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, the first veteran of the, of the Space Force, no. uh, was uh, did a fabulous job at folks. Uh, if you if you haven't seen the full hearing where Colonel Lohmeyer and uh, Mr. Tebolt uh, from the Claremont Institute just take on and yeah. shred uh, uh, the lack of accountability and leadership and Marxism in the military and those kind of things, uh, 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 you got to go check it out. Uh, so. Matt Matt Lohmeyer owned that room. And so, and I would encourage people to check that out because here's what I would tell you. Here's what you're watching when you see Matt Lohmeyer own that room and own everybody in that room. And then ask yourself, why is that gentleman who is clearly maybe the smartest, smartest guy in that room, extremely mm-hmm. articulate. And that is an individual who is no longer serving because we kicked him out, you know? Yeah. Then look at who we have that is still serving and have risen through the ranks and are actually running our military, I would say, into the ground. Uh, you're absolutely right. And we're going to see another clip, a longer one from that hearing uh, here later in the show. 
what I wanted to ask you about was uh, why was Biggs reading the DMA into that? Uh, what was the context of that? I, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. Are you aware of it? Uh, yeah, so so it, it is kind of an um, – it's a remark that is somewhat incidental to the discussion. So yeah. Matt Lohmeyer was actually kicked out of the Space Force. So he began his career in the Air Force, transitioned mm-hmm. over to the Space Force. But he was kicked out of the Space Force because of a book that he wrote that was called uh, Irresistible Revolution, and it's about the Marxist infiltration of the military. Another right. phenomenal book. You know, read that one and read Rob Green's yeah. book. You know, read them together. They're both great. But um, so he was actually kicked out, I believe, in the spring of 2021. So before the COVID shot mandate went into effect. So the COVID shot mandate was not his fight. To some degree, I would say Matt Lohmeyer was, was ahead of all of us. I've actually told Matt. You know, Matt, you got relieved of command before getting relieved of command was cool. <laughs> because uh, to some degree, he was ahead of people like me. Yeah. He was even ahead of um, somebody like Stu Scheller who yeah. called out the Pentagon for the Afghanistan debacle. Well, Matt had already been kicked out of the military. So so Matt is not the, – the hearing that Matt is at is more about, you know, DEI initiatives, et cetera, and not about the COVID shot mandate. Now he did receive a question in which he was asked, do you believe that the COVID shot mandate was detrimental to military readiness? And he said, Hey, it appears that it probably was, but I'm not the expert on this. I have good friends though, that should be consulted on the matter. Um, So later on in the hearing that, that um, the, the remark by Mr. Biggs, where he enters the DMA into the congressional record, is um first of all it's great it's fantastic but but it is kind of an incidental comment so that's not what the hearing was about but i would say to some degree everything that we see going on with uh senior officials in the military is related in some regard yeah i I think it is related you know uh, i watched the whole hearing and uh matt lohmeyer's boss that removed him just got confirmed to his fourth star okay uh, General Whiting, I think it was, uh, and, uh, and and he do- Lomar documented illegal training activities after the president of the United States issued an order to stop it uh, while that was going on as part of what his job was as squadron commander. So I think uh, I think a lot of that hearing is about the accountability of our senior leaders. So I'm glad it came up, and uh, and, uh, and we'll see yeah. some more of, of Matt's uh, testimony here in a minute. But uh, let's go. We got a lot of hands up over in spaces. So Kat, Shell, let's go with the next question. Um, I think it's, you say it, Luthitarian. Go ahead. Hey, yeah. Uh, for uh, starters here, uh, Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Half Colonel, I don't I'm, I'm Navy, so I always forget exactly what the uh, informal, formal way of calling you guys is. But <laughs> uh, I looked into you, massive respect, massive respect. I just, I just really have this one question and it has to do with like, okay, we look at presidential elections and whatnot and, you know, not to, not to make uh, Nikki Haley look bad in this case, but she has said things, at least in the case of the Navy, uh, where she, she said, uh, you know, we need to have more naval ships. That's, that's the solution, but Mm. it's rather naive right? <laughs> Rather naive. We have the most advanced warships in the world right now. Uh, and uh, it, we're, we're dealing with a situation where, you know, okay, yeah, 
I guess we could have more, but it sounds like we're just dealing with someone who doesn't even know exactly what the problem is with the Navy at the moment. And my question for you is, does it make sense? Does it make sense that the commander in chief should actually have spent at least some time in the military? That's a great question, Brad. Uh, I've answered it before, so I'll give you the first shot uh, at that. Um, great question. That's a, that's a great question. Um, um, I don't think it should be a requirement, but I understand why people ask the question. And, and I, I always respect candidates who have served. Um, but I, but I kind of stand by my, my personal opinion that no, I don't necessarily think it should be a requirement. That said, I think you, I think it's a fair question to ask candidates who did not serve, you know, why they didn't serve or, or, or ask them, you know, why they, what were they doing, you know, in their younger years, et cetera. I, I think that's a completely fair question. Um, yeah. Let me, let me just make one comment about something else that you said, and, and I'm no expert on naval power, but let me just say this. When we look, because it goes back to what I mentioned before with the previous question, look at the advantage that the United States has in terms of our, um, our, our ability to project power largely because of our advanced tech or our, um, you know, our entire enterprise when it comes to intelligence collection. And again, a lot of that deals with the advanced tech that we have. So we have advantages that no other nation in the world has, you know, in, in some regards. Now, think about those advantages that we have and then think about where we don't necessarily have advantages and where we have what I think is a strategic risk. And it goes back to that moral injury where you have whether it be your lower level sailors or soldiers, you know, airmen, Marines or whatever, who don't even necessarily trust their local unit leadership. And then they don't trust the senior leaders in the Pentagon. They don't trust them to abide by their oaths to the Constitution. They don't trust them to make the best decisions that are actually in American interests. So I, I think that is a real strategic risk that to some degree undermines the other enormous advantages that we actually have in terms of our ability to project military might around the world. So anyway, so fantastic question about military service and the president, but just you mentioning kind of some of those other things and um, in the background yeah, to your I question, just, you just mind, maybe like want to make that comment. To make my point. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, it's just uh, like, for instance, with the Navy, and yeah, I, I'll admit, my most of my experience is just Navy because that's where I was, right? Yeah. Uh, when it like, it was back way back in the day uh, you know, uh, mo all the, the branches were debating about like, oh, we deserve more funding. We deserve more funding. No, we do. Mm -hmm. It got to the point that uh, uh, Senate finally said, oh, we're going to just split it even, right? <laughs> and so what ended up happening with this was, uh, especially when we decided to make aircraft carriers uh, Nimitz class, uh, mm -hmm. we made multiple Nimitz class all at the same time. Sure. Uh, and barely could afford it. <laughs> and now, because of that, we're dealing with this whole situation where, like, in the in the Gulf, uh, Persian Gulf, we're, we're expected to have at least one Nimitz class. Now it's Ford at this point, but still, <laughs> uh, that, that, that has to be there. But they all have to end up in the shipyards at the same time. Uh, you know, and so, so do me a favor, Luther, yeah. I need you to land it because we've got yeah. about five. Hands I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. My long story short, we're dealing with, uh, 
a situation where we're seeing multiple uh, people in Senate and now even Nikki Haley trying to say, let's just build even further into the military. And we're like, uh, or the Navy. And we're like, hold the phone. We're literally having situations where we're just trying to just getting, getting the ships out to sea on testing and having the rudders fall off because we can't even afford it. Like, let, let's instead deal with the situation at hand, right? And deal with what we actually have. And because they are the most advanced. And I, I guess that's what yeah. I'm saying is just like, I, I really am not, not a big fan of this whole idea of like a commander in chief who doesn't even know these basics. That's a great question. I appreciate your uh, your comments. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of issues associated with the uh, what I would call the battle rhythm and scheduling, operational scheduling of the carrier battle groups. And uh, and I will tell for the audience, uh, Lutheran's concerns are valid. I mean, we just pushed out the Teddy Roosevelt battle group uh, out of maintenance and turnaround uh, two or three months early, uh, which is a which is a very dangerous thing to do. It can be if if you're expecting to go into into a shooting war. And uh, I don't think anybody is uh, naive enough to believe that we're not at risk of pretty high risk of doing that right now. I appreciate it. The, uh, so Brad, uh, you touched on, uh, on the, uh, the lack of confidence of, of our junior personnel, especially, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. because of the senior leaders activities and how that's going to hurt readiness. But, can you touch on what you're hearing from the men and women that, that you, were under your command, maybe or people that you're, you're talking to that are still on active duty or in, or active in the guard or reserves uh, on, on their concerns and, and really on what facts from an adverse reaction to the vaccine perspective uh, are coming out uh, that, cause I mean, we're at like 90 plus percent injected in our active duty uh, and national guard and reserves uh, that's all of our people pretty much because the other the other 10 percent uh, are on the way out or got kicked out. I think there were a little bit over eight thousand five hundred of, of the folks like you that had to leave. So so w what are you hearing and what are your thoughts on on this on the potential for vaccine injury and its impact on readiness? Uh, to me, it seems like it's a it's a really big deal at this point. Yeah. So so great question. It's a big question. So. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think the active force was ended up being about 98% yeah. um, that took the shots. Now, who didn't take the shots? Well, there were about 8,500 that ended up getting separated against their will for not taking the shots. That number actually does not include people like me who technically resigned and therefore are mm -hmm. not kind of captured within that 8,500 number. Right. So that number is actually much larger. You had people who were already at retirement age. Like think about somebody who was at 20 or 21 years, but planned to do 30. And then they saw the writing on the wall and they said, Hey, I'm out. There are a lot of people like that. So that number is, is, is certainly much larger, but about 98% did take the shots. Now, uh, many people might've heard a term called DMED. So DMED is an acronym and it stands for the defense medical epidemiological database. Now I have never looked into the database. Uh, you know, I, I was never in the military medical community. That said, yeah. I certainly have friends who have looked into it, you know, quite often, you know, and um, and the military has certain whistleblowers who have come out and they have said, hey, listen, this database, we spend millions of dollars um, every year to maintain this this uh, this database. 
-hmm. This database exists to give us early warning in terms of health risks that might be out there that could serve as a threat to the overall readiness of the force in, in, a, in a health perspective. And what they have said is post rollout of the shots, there are certain health indicators that have, you know, spiked off the charts, right. you know, in some cases increasing by hundreds of percent or more. And they have said, Hey, listen, whatever is causing this, we need to figure this out. And these whistleblowers have been ignored. Their uh, careers have been threatened. In some case, their medical license have been threatened. And DMED is, or, uh, DOD has come out and said, hey, nothing to see here. There was a glitch in the system, et cetera. And so I would say anyone who is being honest about what they're seeing, we know that young people in and out of the military and, and the, the military demographic tends to be very young and it yep. tends to be very healthy, especially when compared to the general population. And now we have, you know, 22, 23, 24 year olds that have myocarditis when they never had any issues previously. And this is just happening in what I would say alarming numbers. And so I would say at a bare minimum, if DOD wants to be honest with the American people about our ability to defend the nation, then, yeah, we got to be honest. We got to do some sort of investigation to determine what has caused these increases that are being noted in the DMED system. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I think that should be a really big readiness concern for the next Secretary of Defense and Commander in Chief. You know, no matter who they are. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and and yeah. I'll tell you, you also asked, what am I hearing? So again, this is admittedly anecdotal, but sure. I'll just tell you that I hear countless people who connect with me. It might just be through a, a DM on on Twitter where I'm active or whatever, but mm. in a means in which people can find me because I've given an interview or I post something, somebody sees it, and then they send me a message and they confide in me and they say, I serve in whatever branch of service or I did serve, you know, now I'm out or yeah. whatever. Or sometimes yeah. they'll say my spouse is in the army or whatever. And then they'll tell me about some sort of clearly unlawful coercion that they suffered when they tried to stand up against the shots, or they'll tell me I took the shots and I, now I'm constantly sick. I've never felt like this. You know, I used yeah. to be healthy and you know, now I'm not, I get stories like that you know, all the time with people who are confiding in me. So yeah, it's a, it's a significant problem. And it shouldn't be happening in such a young cohort. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's understandable if somebody like me, I'm 62, I took the first two shots of the Moderna, uh, and my wife and I both think that our uh, immune systems have been damaged in certain ways uh, by that because of, you know, we're, we're sick a lot more uh, than we have been uh, in the last 15 years, uh, you know. But uh, in this young cohort, uh, we really have to dig into it. Uh, and uh, I just hope that the next administration will take that on as, as they dig into the restoring confidence in the leadership uh, of the U.S. Armed Forces the confidence of the young troops that have to go pull the triggers and, uh, yeah. and fight the I'll, jets. And, I'll, and I'll tell you one case that I'm familiar with because I know the individual, and that is um, Carolina Stanzik. So are, are you familiar with her her story? I am. I am from, from yeah, her. so for those who are listening who might not be, and Carolina gives gives interviews you know, quite often, so I'm not disclosing yep. inf any information that she has. I've had her on the show. So. Okay, great. Yeah. But you know, uh, an individual who by age 23 – had had three heart attacks and a stroke. And this is an individual who was in the National Guard, you know, had been an athlete all growing up and in high school, et cetera, you know, and then in a short period of time, post taking the shots, 
has three heart attacks and a stroke. But yeah. and 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 I give all credit to her because you know she's a voice out there for many others that are her same age that are also injured that just haven't necessarily had the platform or the ability to kind of expose their stories. But this stuff is happening, and DOD is largely ignoring it. As a matter of fact, they're going after our friend Ted Macy again for doing the video yeah. he put out a few weeks ago, uh, which he's already been a whistleblower once in this, and he's blowing the whistle on it again. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and play that clip, uh, that Matt Lohmeyer of that hearing, uh, because he gets to, uh, and this is all about accountability of senior leadership in the U.S. Armed Forces and its impact on our young folks that have to pull the triggers. Uh, so, so Matt does a great job. At, at getting to uh, the real heart of the matter. Uh, listen to this, folks. Uh, one point that the general made with which I disagree is that diversity is our strength. I don't think there's any evidence for that, but, the, but definitions matter. Words matter, and we're losing touch with this. I would reject the notion that diversity is our strength based on DEI definitions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Merit, okay, I'm gonna get away from that because if we're trying to find a unity of, of understanding, let me say this, skill and performance matter in the military if you'd like to deter conflict and win our nation's wars, period. As a commander in the military, I had a black colonel fly across the country to promote me to lieutenant colonel because I loved the hell out of the guy and respect his views on the Federalist Papers, which he was teaching me after work hours, and because he was the best leader I've ever worked with. The best airman that I had working for me, incidentally, was a transgender airman. So don't bullshit me and say that you think you know what you're talking about, you've never served, you don't understand how this works, we care about performance in the military, period. You don't know what you're talking about. Most of the people in this room don't know what they're talking about. We need lethality in the military, period. All of the stuff you guys talk about, the men and women in uniform, don't think about. They go play Call of Duty at night after they learn their mission and execute that mission, period. They don't know what you're talking about. They don't know what you're voting on. They don't care about your sexual preference. They don't care what you look like, and they don't care what the person next to them looks like, period. I'm a citizen of this country and I can dislike you and criticize you all I want here, but our men and women in uniform cannot. And so I speak on their behalf when I say lethality matters, merit-based selection and promotions matter, and your ideology doesn't matter one bit. And we need to identify principles which will preserve our union and preserve the unity of the United States military. If we do not, we'll lose that union. And it's my contest, whatever, Truman did decades ago. You ask your average military service member when Truman was the president of the United States, they can't even tell you. But my point is, they're focused on what's happened since the George Floyd riots. There are things that have happened in the last three years in our military that we're up here to testify about, not the, not the things that happened 60 years ago. We're great today because of what we've done for the last half century in the fighting of the Cold War. Well, Brad, uh Colonel Omar captures very effectively in that clip, uh, even though I know this hearing was about critical race theory, Marxism, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but, it, but the bottom line is about accountability. And he captures what we've been talking about with the young people and their lack of trust in leadership based on their, the leadership's actions to break the law, uh, uh, yeah. those kind of things. Uh, 
uh, and I think Matt captures it. I really like the part where he said, I want to get your take on it because you, you're, you're more recent than I am as a commander of the young Americans, but, uh, uh, that, uh, uh talking about them, uh, well, they're going to go play call of duty when they're done learning their mission and, and figuring out how to execute it. Right. You know what, when I was the last time I was deployed as a squadron commander, my officers, my aviators were, were wiring up their, their different locations to play call of duty in those kind of things, <laughs> even as old as I am, uh, in their off time. Uh, uh, so, and he's absolutely right. Those young men and women, they really don't care as long as you, uh, are able to give them the tools they need to do this job. And that's lethality and merit-based recognition yeah. and promotion, right? Yeah. So, you know, like I said earlier, he just really owns that room because he looks around the room and he tells them to their faces, most of you have never served. You have no idea what you're talking about. And he's exactly right. Yeah. And then he's talking about, you know, your, your, your 20 year old, you know, soldier, airman, you know, whatever they, they do not care what kind of ridiculous stuff is being debated on Capitol Hill. They just, they right. just don't care, you know? And so that's what I think people have to realize. And so when we look at these policies, they're just completely ridiculous. When they filter down, yeah, they absolutely can affect readiness. And if you think that, if you think your average 18 to 20 year old who is going to walk into a recruiter station, if you, and, and then finds themselves at a unit that is gearing up to deploy, if you think that that person is worried about some of this stuff that's being debated on Capitol Hill or whatever. No, that's that's not what they're worried about, especially a unit that is training to deploy. And that's where Matt says, listen, you know, your unit has got to be highly trained. And what matters is lethality. It goes back to what I've said before. You know, the military exists for one reason and one reason only, and that is to execute violence on behalf of the American people. And therefore, our military, what do we need our military to do and be? Well, we need it. We need we got to focus on lethality and readiness so that we can actually preserve our uh, our form of government and safeguard our citizens that's what the military exists for and and, uh, and to take it back to what we were talking about before with the law if our military if we cannot trust it to execute violence on behalf of the american people using taxpayer dollars and do so morally ethically and lawfully then there's going to be a huge divide between the american people and that military and that's a problem and that is a major problem uh, because now you have a uh, you have the potential for this divide between the military and the American people and the divide between the lower ranks, uh, those with less power and the senior ranks that have abused power and broken yeah. law. Uh, uh, and, and then you add into that mix diversity, equity and inclusion, this Marxism that's infiltrated uh, and teaches people to not trust each other based on immutable characteristics like the color of your skin. Who yeah. gives a shit? Uh, I mean, Matt, the uh, pulled that out uh, 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 really magnificently. Yeah. Well, let's yeah, go over yeah, to the yeah. audience. So they've got hands up over there. I'm sure they've got a lot of questions. Go ahead, Kat, Rochelle. Um, Delta, go ahead. Hello, Delta. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Kat, Shell, Colonel. Uh, Chad, of course, and Caroline. Uh, hope Everyone's doing well. God bless. Um, yeah, in regards to uh, the EUA, um, in my opinion, that's an illegitimate EUA because, you know, there was treatments available 
And if there are treatments available for a disease, whatever it is, that are already approved, uh, that EUA is illegitimate. There is no uh, standing for it. So the EUA itself, because there was hydroxychloroquine, there was ivermectin, which Trump uh, promoted, and then they blackballed the hell out of it. Uh, Excuse my French. Uh, They blackballed those uh, treatments and then put through a illegitimate EUA. So I think, uh, I don't know, do you think that helps in that regard uh, for the getting justice for these uh, men and women that serve in our military that were uh, discharged or, you know, whatever, forced, coerced to take this uh, jab? Yeah, so good question. So first of all, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I think the EUA was was predicated upon uh, nonsense. Because the way I understand an EUA, if there are other therapeutics available, then you don't need an EUA, you know, and you just mentioned some that were available, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. And we know there was a massive campaign to discredit those. So I agree with you. The EUA is already problematic. Um, Specific to what we're trying to do, unfortunately, I'm I'm not sure that that, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but DOD is not who put the EUA into effect. So um, in theory, I guess you could attack the EUA. That's, that's true. When you look at our declaration, I don't know that we're necessarily tackling the question of the EUA because that's outside of what DOD did. But what we are saying is the mandate itself was unlawful because it's predicated upon the existence of an FDA approved product, which there was not. But, but, but again, I agree with everything you're saying about the EUA, and I do believe that it is completely dubious. And I think that gets to uh, the the, uh, the audience member's question. Also, gets to the uh, the fact that uh, although the DMA were focused on DOD, okay, uh, when we signed that and uh, we sent it to the American people, we're focused on the Department of Defense. But uh, but there were uh, uh, unethical actions illegal actions taken by other parts of the federal government and state governments too, that also need to be held accountable. And and I'm kind of looking, I ask the question all the time about one particular organization that I love to to beat on, which is the FBI. Where are the folks in the FBI that are going to sign their accountability letter? Uh, You know, uh, I mean, there's enough in every organization at the federal level, I think, uh, based on these actions uh, and policies that got it put into place. Uh, so it's much bigger than DOD. So that's a good point, Caller, uh, to, uh, to bring that out. Well, well Brad, let's, uh, I want to shift gears again a little bit, but we're still staying on the accountability issue, uh, and it, but it's about obeying lawful orders this time. There was an NBC article that came out last week, uh, and this is about Trump, but it could be about, I mean, you could insert the name of George Washington in this, in this article, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but this article is actually advocating for something that really surprises me. And and what we have done with the DMA is talk about uh, you know pushing back on unlawful orders. This one, uh, very short clip, but just t- kind of touches on it, and then we'll talk about it. Donald Trump is sparking fears among those who understand the inner workings of the Pentagon that he would convert the nonpartisan U.S. military into the muscular arm of his political agenda as he makes comments about dictatorship and devalues the checks and balances that underpin the nation's to century-old democracy. 
Now, this article is very long, but in two different places, it, it talks about how uh, these organizations that are getting together, and these organizations are kind of like the organizations that got together to fortify the 2020 election, you know, Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. the Aspen Institute, some of the generals, uh, retired generals, those kind of things. Uh, uh, although the article doesn't go that far, but uh, what really jumped out at me is that they're talk, they're advocating for the U.S. military to disobey lawful orders. I mean, it's very plain uh, in that. Uh, and I, I just wanted to get your take. I don't know if you've seen this or heard about it, but it's yeah, I have um, again. Uh, within yeah. not just our military, but uh, but uh, our our country at large, really our citizenry, our government, uh, that people would actually put this in writing. Uh, maybe it's just me because I'm a 30 plus career officer and and I know that I know the rules uh, and understand them very well. Uh, but that that really just shocked me. Yeah, I think this is um, one of those points out there that unfortunately the average American citizen is. Um, I would say not very informed on. So we get this question a lot. So it's worth talking about. So um, I think the average American, what they know about the military, they get from movies, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Maybe. so they think that, you know, you're always standing at attention. Everyone's got super short hair and every day is basically like what basic training looks like. That's what yeah. the average American thinks, you know, every day in the military is like, and if you serve for 30 years, every day is, you know, basically like basic training. So anyway, <laughs> good order and discipline in the military is predicated upon people giving and following orders. That is true. You yes. could not have a functional military of, of, of any you know, type at all without orders. And, you know, you want to talk about people who've been in command positions like you and myself. Well, a large part about being in command is also understanding how to follow orders from your higher up. Everybody right. in the military has got a boss. So do you have to follow orders in the military? Yes, you do. Of course. Do you have to follow orders you do not like? Yeah. Do you have to follow orders that may even put you at danger? Yes, it's the military. You may end up following an order that results in your death or the death of, you know, you and your subordinates. Like, again, these, this is the unfortunate reality of um, being in the military. And to some degree, everyone understands that when they join the military. Now, when you receive an order that is lawful, but you believe is unsound where time and conditions permit, you may have a go have a conversation with your uh, your commander or whatever issuing authority, put that order out. And you may say, hey, hey, listen, boss, uh, here's why I disagree with this order. And I believe it should be rescinded or at least modified. And maybe it gets modified. Maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't and the order still stands, you reach what we call the salute point and you go execute yeah. that order because at the end of the day, it is lawful. And oh, by the way, maybe you were wrong. You know, maybe there's information that you didn't know when you, you know, first challenged that order. Now, let's talk about unlawful orders, because when you receive a, uh, an, an order that you believe is unlawful or there's some sort of prima facie evidence that it might be unlawful, mm -hmm. then you are duty bound to challenge it. So it's not just that you are obligated or that you are not obligated to follow it. You actually have a duty obligation to disobey that order. Now, I don't think you should just disobey it and do nothing. I think you should approach for clarification. Make sure you understood the order properly and give your um, your commander or your superior a chance to amend that order or rescind it or, or modify it or whatever. But no, you do not have an obligation to follow unlawful orders. You actually have an obligation to disobey that orders. But let's talk about lawful orders for a moment. Yeah. Again, 
yeah, in the military, yes, you are expected to give and receive lawful orders. And no, you cannot just choose to disobey orders because you happen to disagree. Again, maybe you can engage in a conversation with the issuing authority as to why you disagree, but orders stand and they stand for a reason. That's right. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, you know, I think the most recent example is Secretary of Defense Austin. You know, he, uh, he has a written set of orders, so to speak, from the president of the United States. Uh, uh, the two of them are the National Command Authority. Uh, and there's a written set of orders and policies and law uh, that uh, that says that the, the, the person in that position is supposed to be uh, informing their boss about that. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, not every youngster is going to see that, but the sharp ones will know uh, that this happened uh, and that there's been no accountability for it. Uh, and those are lawful orders. Yeah. Uh, that's my concern here. I mean, man, we can't have we can't have generals or lieutenants or sergeants uh, uh, or corporals uh, or senior airmen going around saying, ah, that's a lawful order, but I don't have to obey it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when I explain this boss and saying, Hey boss, you want to do this or that you may want to do that. But, uh, and then getting to the salute point is spot on. Uh, I can't believe that senior officers are supporting uh, the ideas and articles like this. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. You know, it's crazy. But you know, a lot of times when I explain this this um this thought, I'm kind of explaining the importance of disobeying unlawful orders, and therefore I'm explaining it from the perspective of a subordinate who receives what they think of as an unlawful order. But your question is a little bit different. So you know, if we talk about a lawful order and we talk about it from the perspective of he who gives the order, and both you and I have been commanders. You know, if I give an order that I know is completely lawful as a battalion commander, I mean, I am expecting my company commanders to to be executing that that order. That's right. You know, that's right. I mean, that's otherwise my, my organization is going to be completely ineffective. Yeah, and in this particular case, it's talking about a specific individual as president of the United States. Look, I, I served under uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, George H. W. Bush, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, uh, and uh, had to follow orders from every one of those uh, men and their administrations. Uh, and uh, I don't agree with about half of them from a political perspective, but uh, but that's not my job. Uh, in the U.S. Armed Forces to uh, understand that. You know, if Barack Obama gave me an order and, and there's no other person, I'll bring him up because there's no other person that's held the office that I more totally uh, am at op odds with from an ideological sure. perspective. Uh, but, you, you know, when he gives an, a lawful order as a commander in chief, man, after you get through the what if part and all that, then the man says, go, you go. Uh, sure. You go uh, and uh, and that's what's got to happen. So uh, uh, we're 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 at a uh, very precarious time. Uh, well, we've got some more hands up. Uh, let's go over to the live audience and give them a chance to ask some more questions before we close this out, Brad. Go ahead, Cat Shell. Hey, we're gonna jump out of order. Eric, go ahead. Hey, real quick, this is perfect timing. You were speaking on President Barack Obama, and real quickly, I want to speak on my time. Here at Fort Bragg, I was a Navy recruiter uh, for five years at the end of my 20 year career. And we had these <laughs> new diverse missions and we had what was called a bumgee. We had to go find three, let's say I had to find three bumgees a month as the recruiter. That stands for Black Upper Mental Group. 
And mind you, I'm at all these different high schools and I'm meeting white kids that qualify, but yet I can't put them in because I have not found the three black upper mental group or the HUMG, the Hispanic upper mental group for this forced diversity mission. And it used to pain me, you know, that I'm mm -hmm. looking at these kids and I can't put them in because they're white. And, and I then, but they, they want in. They're coming to you to join. They're coming to me because yeah. they say, hey, Eric, man, you're the best recruiter we have. I was ranked number uh, one out of North Carolina, South Carolina and Georgia for a period of time. But yet I can't put these white kids in who are from impoverished neighborhoods like I was from and sure. would tell them I was from and made connections with them. And I had to obey those orders. And it was during the Obama administration. The last thing I'll say, uh, there were other, uh, we'll just say lifestyle issues that used to be in the standard paperwork sure. uh, when you enlisted someone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those questions were removed mm -hmm. during his administration. In many days, the station commander and myself and others, we, you know, we had conversations like, man, this, this ain't right, man. This don't, it doesn't feel right. And now that I'm retired um, and running for Congress, man, I have not forgotten about those things. And I want to bring those things to light if I'm afforded the opportunity to serve our Republican Congress. And I'll, I'll land there. Where are you running at? Oh, I'm in um, District 13 in North Carolina. There are 14 of us running. Um, four okay. of us are from North Carolina, and there are 10 rhinos involved. But who am I to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, what you described, Eric, and thank you for bringing that up, uh, and I'll throw it over to Brad here in a second, is, uh, is quotas based on things that are immutable characteristics. And, uh, and it's, what, it's what Colonel Lohmeyer and we have been talking about uh, for a long time now. Uh, the military is about lethality and merit. Uh, you know, you get promoted uh, and uh, and pull yourself up based on your ability to perform, to meet the lethality requirements of the United States of America to go out and either deter our enemies or kill them. Uh, that's what we do. Uh, and no other no other type of uh, identity or, or requirement really fills that bill. And I'll throw it over to you, Brad, for final words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got individuals who are looking to join and, you know, who knows? And maybe some of these came from um, from families of, of generational service. I don't necessarily know, but you got individuals who are looking to join. And, and basically, you know, you're saying you you couldn't put them in. And that's um, that's unfortunate that people were being turned away through through no circumstances of their own when I'm assuming they might have otherwise been completely qualified for service. But it just goes to show you're talking about policies that were in effect, you know, maybe as long as, you know, 10 years ago or even more, you know, during uh, the Obama administration. And then mm -hmm. we just see just how much further we've gone astray in the years since then. So I, I just, I appreciate you bringing that up. I wasn't even necessarily aware that those kind of um, uh, recruitment, you know, um, policies were in effect. I know, you, and I don't know if that was particular to just the Navy, but regardless, I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Yeah, I think the terminology is a little bit different. Thank you so much, Eric. Uh, uh, but uh, but I think all the services, uh, I called it a quota. We call sure. it goals when we're general officers and admirals so that we don't get trapped in this quota thing. Quotas, quotas based on race especially are uh, against the law that sure. Congress has passed. Uh, and uh, I think there's going to be some lawsuits uh, coming about the military specifically on racial quotas and identity quotas because, uh, you know, uh, the Supreme Court ruled on uh, on college admissions quotas being yeah. against the law last year. Uh, and the same group is bringing up 
the issue about service academies and the U.S. Armed Forces on promotion quotas and everything. I think that's important. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you to the faces or the spaces audience. Uh, we appreciate you all. Uh, where can folks find you? What are your coordinates uh, and the coordinates of the DMA petition? Yeah. So um, if you want to go find the Declaration of Military Accountability, go to militaryaccountability.com, militaryaccountability.com. You'll see the one page DMA. You'll see the uh, 231 signatories. You know, their names are there. And then you'll see a petition associated with the DMA that anybody can sign. You don't need any affiliation with the military whatsoever. For me, you'll want to find me. I'm pretty active on Twitter or X at my name, at BradMiller1010, at BradMiller1010. Also, you can find some of the stuff that I write on Substack at BradMiller10.substack.com. Well, thanks, brother. Someday we'll all have to get together in person and have some all kind right. of uh, conference or call it a party or something. Uh, all right. Yes, uh, sir. Thank you. Shoot the breeze uh, about yeah. this and, and how we're going to get it fixed. Uh, thank you very much. God bless all you. Right. Uh, thanks for your efforts. God bless. Former Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army, Brad Miller and Battalion Commander. Uh, they're, uh, uh, he is a leader. Matt Lohmeyer is a leader. Uh, these men are Lieutenant Colonels that were commanders that should have gone on to senior leadership in the Department of Defense and the U.S. Armed Forces, folks. Uh, uh, and that is a tragedy that we've got to fix. Please go to sign the petition. You don't have to be a veteran to sign it. Uh, militaryaccountability.com. We're over 20,000 signatures, uh, and we want to get uh, many, many more. So please support uh, this effort. It's critical to uh, the freedom that we know as a country. Well, I got to do a little ad read here real quick. Uh, Mike Lindell's MyPillow is always coming up with new ideas, and you can get a discount on them by using promo code MANUS for new towels, slippers, sheets, and, of course, those pillows. So use promo code MANUS. My other affiliates and sponsors have been on the Crawler of the whole show, Faith and Freedoms promo code MANUS, uh, and BeerBit, uh, coffee and beer products. So uh, promo code MANUS on those two. We appreciate you guys. Well, next week, we'll be using a new platform. I'm going to play the new promo here at the end of the show in a second uh, for the Rob Manus Show on, no, it's not AMP News. They've changed the name. It's Patriot TV. Patriot TV. Uh, and I look forward to interviewing a former Army officer, Chase Spears, next week on Wednesday. And then the week after that, we're back to four or four days a week. You know, more war Mondays, training Tuesday, whistleblower Wednesday, and truth Thursday. Uh, so starting January 29th. And we're looking forward to it. Thank you all very much. And I'll see you next week. To see more of Manus Live with Rob Manus, scan the QR code now. Plus, get hundreds of Patriot shows on demand. Get your seven-day free trial today and pay only $4.99 a month after. Patriot.tv. Start your free subscription now.